African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the right to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Well, thank you for joining us right here on the new week of African Dialogue. And uh, uh, thank you for joining us on our frequency, 9625 kilohertz and the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. On DSTV on channel 802 on the audiobook K. Thank you. It's also our listeners on our website, www.channelafrica.co.za. Well, today we ask near pertinent questions. Do we have election conditions that are really fair uh, to all parties that are really contributing to the electioneering process uh, in various African countries. I mean, this year has been a big year for elections on the African continent. I mean, already 2017 has seen a bigger story for the African continent where we saw the Gambia uh, removing Yaya Jame, who has been president for more than 20 years. And this was happening happened in a space where there was actually collective uh, regional uh, understanding within that particular region but also now we're also seeing that there are still many other countries who are still on the spotlight this year a country like Angola with a long sitting uh, president like Eduardo dos Santos will be ho- holding elections and there's still some uh, criticism coming on the ground uh, where there has been some uh, uh, people warning the political and uh, social conditions before the elections there Kenya is another country that we're all looking out for uh, holding our thumbs that we don't see uh, the uh, violent nature that sometimes they take hold of this time around but we've already heard from some watchdogs that there has been uh, some worries when it comes uh, to um, uh, criticism and the treatment of journalism and an open media environment in the country well to look at a broader perspective of uh, pre-election conditions in african countries we have on the line mr miguel de brito who is the electoral inst- from the electoral institute for sustainable democracy. He's the country director for Mozambique. Thank you, Mr. Debrito, for joining us. We also have uh, Mr. Ongama Mdimka, who is a lecturer in political studies at the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. Of course, uh, we can't have this conversation without having Professor uh, Shadrach Guto joining us uh, on the line there. And uh, we'll also bring in uh, from Human Rights Watch uh, a Kenya researcher, Otsieno Namwaya, who will be discussing joining in uh, that discussion. Well, let me start with you, Mr. Miguel de Brito, in terms of looking at just the, the generic view of, the, you know, Africans believe that uh, votes in elections are always, uh, only a third of Africans th- believe that uh, elections are counted fairly. This is according to a survey conducted by Afrobarometer. So the confidence in elections on the African continent has been kind of very much uh, going in terms of uh, the public confidence has been dwindling a little bit but from your perspective and your view how are we doing currently in terms of how we conduct our elections especially 2017 has been one of those years where we're very busy on the electioneering uh, side Uh, good morning thanks for having me Um, i think um, we cannot 
um, paint the picture of Africa as an homogeneous uh, picture. Sure. I mean, of course, Afrobarometer has got their uh, cross-country uh, statistics, but I mean, you, you have countries where things have evolved in a very positive uh, way. Uh, Gambia being one of the ones you mentioned, uh, you can also mention countries like Seychelles and Mor uh, Mauritius and Cape Verde and some other countries, even South Africa. Um, but you also have countries where uh, problems remain. Uh, one of them, uh, you've mentioned Angola this year, I think is a cause for concern for many of us who follow uh, electoral processes in, in the continent. So I think it's a mixed picture. Sure. Um, it's, um, statistics don't always tell the whole story. So uh, I think uh, there's a lot of work still to be done in terms of improving the credibility of the electoral processes, be it the issue of uh, credibility of electoral commissions, the credibility of voters' role, uh, the issues of violence, uh, issues of uh, media freedom. So, yeah, there's a, quite a wide range of issues that we still need to look into. Mm. And I'll come back to that big issue of electoral commissions because that's becoming much of being put on the spotlight uh, this year, uh, Mr. De Brito. But in terms of uh, looking at preconditions of elections, just when we run up to these elections, even uh, the campaigning process has become something that's been put on the spotlight, especially in, in recent years whereby people are asking around the, the fairness of uh, the campaigning process in itself, Mr. De Brito. Sometimes the big question that's been questioned is the fact that it seems that ruling parties seem to utilize, I don't know, I think we've lost someone there on the line. I'm not quite sure who. Um, I think it's Mr. Uh, Ongama there, but let me let me stay with you, okay. Mr. De Brito there. Sorry for uh, that particular interruption. But what I was trying to say is uh, the advantage that it seems that the, there's questions around how some African countries have ruling parties who have an advantage over opposition in terms of resources being allocated to them and the advantage of also sometimes we're seeing a trend where some parties uh, who are ruling are using state resources as part of their campaigning process especially utilizing also state media as one of their major uh, advantages your, your thoughts around uh, the campaigning season uh, how can we uh, what, what's actually worrying you looking at some of the trends that we're seeing in that regard yeah. I, I think it's, uh, we can we can say that uh, incumbency is always an advantage that it's very difficult to to get rid of. Basically, mm -hmm. uh, what you can do is probably to put in place measures to mitigate uh, advantages that the incumbent always has uh, as the ruling party, uh, and this is especially true in in countries where either the political Hello? context is very closed, uh, where Hello? political contestation is not allowed freely or you were, where you have a predominant party that has been in power mm. for so many years, like the MPLA mm. in Angola, for instance. So Hello? some of the measures mm. that you can put in place is to try and curb the use mm. of uh, state uh, assets mm. for campaigning. Uh, mm. Some countries have got uh, some very interesting legislation in that respect. But also, um, you, you need to put in place something that it's not very common yet uh, on the African 
continent, which is public funding for yeah. uh, political party campaigning. Uh, that helps a little bit in terms of leveling the, the playing field. Also providing uh, free airtime in the public broadcasters for different political parties and candidates to uh, air their, their political messages uh, free of charge. That counters a little bit uh, the, the control that uh, often the incumbents have over the public media and the polarization of the media in general that we see more and more on the African continent nowadays, unfortunately. Uh, also, like a country like Cape Verde, what they have decided to do is that once uh, the, the, the date of the election has been set, no more inaugurations of public facilities, schools, hospitals, bridges and roads. Uh, also, uh, if you're competing for elections and you hold a public office, you need to resign from your public office so that you don't use state resources uh, uh, allotted to you as a public official uh, for the campaign. So, yeah, you, you can have a number of uh, legislative measures in place to try and mitigate uh, mm. the, uh, the advantage of the incumbent, but uh, it's always, mm, in mm. the end, it's never 100% fair. Sure, sure. Uh, because if you sit on that chair, you always <laughs> have uh, an access and a control over events that nobody else has. But mm, uh, mm. I think it's important that countries in Africa more and more look at good examples and best practices that exist on the continent already mm. in trying to minimize uh, the influence that the incumbent has uh, during elections. Mm, let me move to you, Professor Sherek Guto. I know that we lost you there, but I hope that you can hear us uh, clearly right now. But Professor Guto, we were talking about really some of the challenges in terms of advantages some ruling parties uh, that have during electioneering process, especially when it comes to the campaigning in terms of the, the use of, of state resources and there needs to be a more a playing a fair playing ground in that regard your thoughts around the fairness especially when it comes to the campaigning seasons already we've seen uh, real issues coming out from angola where uh, the fairness has been questioned in terms of the campaigning environment in the country professor kuto your thoughts well i think you are quite right that we do have challenges on running elections properly so that the results are credible, uh, they are fair, and they reflect the will of those who voted. Now, what we have basically is that many of the electoral management bodies are compromised since the commissioners or the chair of those commissions are appointed by the president of the country who is usually the leader of a ruling party. Mm. And from that point of view, it already sends doubt on whether or not such a body can be able to run proper elections and to demand that there be a plain playing field, of course. According to the African Charter on a Democracy Elections and Governance, they are required to do so and um, uh, to make sure that they are independent. And being independent does require that in terms of appointment of commissioners, in terms of their removal, the budgeting for the independent electoral commissions, and so on, are properly dealt with. Because without those, then some of the electoral management bodies 
depend on donors, just as some of our governments do. And that compromises the credibility of the elections uh, in those countries. And sooner or later will lead to explosion in the country. We have seen such explosions taking place in places like uh, more recently, because there have been very many mm, mm. in uh, Kenya, mm. Gambia, mm. And, uh, and so on. So we need really to have credible elections, and many countries are going to elections very uh, soon. Kenya is one of them, Angola mm. is one of them, mm. DRC Congo is one of them, and mm. so on and mm. so forth. Mm. Of course, Lesotho goes to elections every few years, if not months. Mm. So we don't know whether their last elections has created a government that can really uh, govern properly. And from that point of view, yes, we do have a problem, and that's why at the Institute for African Renaissance Studies at UNESA, we started a program in 2011, which is capacity building for electoral management officers and commissioners throughout the continent. We have so far covered about 30 countries, and we are still extending it so that we cover all of Africa. And what they do is serious academic work, and they get certificates that are certified and registered, not just certificates of participation. I think it is our role as academic institutions to be able to initiate mm -hmm. such um, and, and to uh, value such contribution to strengthening the electoral pro processes in Africa. Elections are not just for election purposes. It is for contributing to democracy. It is also for strengthening governance. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then I'm going to bring in uh, uh, Mr. Ongamamdinka because I'd like to bring in his views on what he thinks on our discussion. In terms of the fairness of the build-up to our elections, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, give us your thoughts via our SMS line on plus two seven seven nine six nine five seven nine three zero, or you can email us at info at channelafrica.org. We're speaking to Mr. Miguel de Brito, who is the Electoral Institute for Democracy for Sustainable Democracy. That's the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy uh, in Mozambique. He's the country leader there. And also we've heard from uh, Professor Shadrach Guto, who is uh, joining us there on the line, uh, giving us his views on uh, uh, today's uh, conversation. And we know that uh, Professor Shadrach Guto is the director for the Center for African Renaissance Studies, part of the uh, University of South Africa. We also have on the line Onga Mamdinka, who is from uh, uh, the uh, political studies department at the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. I'm going to take a quick break. Very interesting insights. Very also worrying views coming from both from uh, uh, Mr. Miguel de Brito there and Professor Shedrick Gutebout. We'll unpack also the confidence that most African countries are starting to question their electoral commissions and their IECs. We'll look at that after this break. A world that remains beset by so much human suffering, poverty, and deprivation. It is in your hands to make of our world a better one for all. 
across the world there are people thinking about you now the heavens celebrate a wondrous life Africa's icon Nelson Mandela once said education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world Channel Africa is following in his footsteps on International Mandela Day Tuesday the 18th of July the station will spend 67 minutes of service painting classrooms at Yeovil Community School in Johannesburg South Africa together with Move It Moving Matters shoes, stationery and socks will also be donated by Channel Africa with the support of Nissan South Africa. Join Channel Africa for a live broadcast from the event. Channel Africa, the African perspective. Yes, you're listening to Channel Africa. Yes, tomorrow we will be having our special broadcast outside of our studios here in Johannesburg for Nelson Mandela do doing our little part in a school in uh, Yeovil uh, tomorrow. Uh, so we'll also be broadcasting there here on uh, African Dialogue speaking to the young children there, also speaking to the people who will be participating on that particular day. We know that Nelson Mandela Day is a day of us actually making a difference for that particular day, but it's also just harnessing that spirit for the rest of uh, our year as well in South Africa but today we're looking at uh, conditions in African elections as well and and the big question comes uh, uh, to you now uh, Mr Mdinka in terms of uh, a lot of questions coming in now recently when it comes to the independence of electoral commissions we know electoral commissions are very central when it comes to actually ensuring the fairness and also a non-biased environment during uh, the elections themselves South Africa is starting to also ask those questions in terms of the fact that you know the electoral commissioners are also elected by the ruling party uh, so uh, opposition parties are also starting to question the fact is uh, electoral commission mandate actually in, is it independent enough and the way that they are actually appointed Well, uh thanks a lot. Uh so well, Benjamin, what I'd like to I'd like to thank my uh, colleagues who have actually brought in specialist knowledge around elections. Where my sure. key focus is actually is around the political economic aspects sure. of uh, elections and I think there is an issue there in terms of the the funding of both these institutions. Okay. as well as political parties that have also their own dynamic but before i quickly get into that i'd like to highlight one of the key problems about the post colonial state in africa is the extent to which it retains um these western institutions including democracy by the way um because one of the i mean in, in africa you've got a problem of uh, the the challenge around nationhood where in a particular country you will find various so-called nations that uh, that that are there and therefore 
uh, democracy as far as majority rule def- the definition is concerned gets problematic in Africa because you find that so you, you know, not many countries have had what South Africa has had where uh, politics have, have tra- almost transcended identity politics and therefore it's mainly ideas that are, uh, that are being contested in the political system more than, 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 than identity and sectarian interests. So, so, so whether or not you're looking at the independence of uh, electoral uh, institutions or the vibrancy of the political system um, being a less one-party dominated to a, towards a multi-party process. We've had a challenge in Africa in as far as opening up or freeing up the political space and making sure that it is competitive enough sure. to represent a wider interest base in a country. And as such, institutions then which are supposed to support democracy have, uh, and strengthen democracy have tended to be embroiled in broad uh, 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 political economic issues um, of, of, the, of the countries where they are, uh, where, for example, they serve the interests of ruling parties, which then necessitates also that the, 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 the support that's provided by regional bodies as well as the continental uh, bodies and frameworks becomes key then in ensuring that Africa progresses towards achieving uh, uh, the cons- consolidating a democracy and people-centered Africa uh, in line with uh, Vision uh, 2063. Mm. Very good points that you bring then. Let me bring them back to uh, Mr. Miguel de Brito, the cost of our electioneering, because that seems to be something that's very much uh, a big issue as well, especially what uh, uh, Mr. Mdinka highlights there, the fact that uh, it actually creates a very much limited scope uh, in terms of people who can actually participate in the electioneering contest. Uh, Your thoughts around those thoughts, uh, Mr. de Brito? Yes, I think uh, we need to take into consideration also differences in terms well, of the electoral system. I think that it is um, um, Okay, Professor Guto, just wait for me for a while. Uh, let me okay. allow Mr. Uh, Deprito to continue and then I'll let you have your say. Yeah, as I was saying, I think uh, we need to take into consideration also the differences between the electoral systems in the countries, first past the post systems where you have individual candidates standing in individual constituencies, uh, usually uh, put a lot m- much more pressure on individual candidates to raise money uh, to be able to campaign. This has very adverse co- um, consequences, for instance, for women candidates, also with the ability of uh, people who do not come from very affluent uh, backgrounds mm-hmm. to uh, contest and stand on in those elections, also makes uh, candidates very vulnerable to the private interests who... Uh, make money available in, in exchange for favors. Once these MPs are elected, uh, of course, uh, countries with uh, proportional representation systems where you use a party list system, mm-hmm. um, it, the, 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 the pressure on the individual candidate is much lower, but it also has some, some issues. And unfortunately, most countries in Africa still don't have a very good campaign finance regulation mm-hmm. uh, framework mm-hmm. where you put limits on the amount of money you can spend on elections, mm-hmm. how much money private uh, donations uh, can contribute to, mm-hmm. to campaigns, also the issue of um, uh, disclosure of who has <laughs> contributed to your campaign uh, so that we can see if there's a quid pro quo after the elections in terms of the money these uh, candidates have received. 
and also the in existence of uh, public campaign funding that could uh, alleviate some of these issues. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a big issue in terms of the leveling playing field, but also of, uh, in terms of uh, making our politics more independent and mm-hmm. free from the uh, potentially bad influence of private money. Mm. Let me bring you in, uh, Professor Kuto. You wanted to comment there. Yeah, what I wanted to point out is that you have touched on something very important that my uh, co-panelists, one is that we need to look at the conditions under which elections are held. Holding elections properly is very expensive. And I think that is one challenge um, of how the budgeting is done nationally to be able to ensure that elections, whether they are at national, provincial, local level, or whatever, uh, are properly funded. Secondly, it is actually to have infrastructure which is very poor on the continent. So sometimes to go and participate in elections in some uh, rural areas and so on, you cross rivers, it depends on when the elections are held. The rivers swell and you can't even cross them. Sometimes it's the rainy season and so on and so forth. So we need to attend to questions of how do we time and do we build infrastructure so that uh, election materials and election officers and people who are taking part in elections are able to move smoothly to areas where they are registered. Another is are the registers uh, accurate or not? Mm. In many African countries, the accuracy of the electoral roll or the voters' roll is really not accurate. And I think that we need to attend to all of that. Um, Of course, we are also dealing with a situation where we have to change our paradigm of democracy from winner-take-all, you have been elected and you say have a majority of maybe 50% plus one, but that 50% plus one is 50% plus one of a minority of the population in the country. And from that point of view, our leaders need to be humble to say when you are elected, you are in government and it is government for all, and you try to see where you can make accommodation so that we minimize conflicts that are not really necessary and do damage, and sometimes can send the country into total chaos. So paradigms of change and also infrastructure development, uh, we need to look at all of those and begin to deal with them. Otherwise, we are just talking about elections, elections. Mm, mm, there are, mm. of course, security apparatuses during elections. To what extent are they seen to be part of the suspect mm, mm, in mm. stealing elections or not? Sure. Are they really coming out to say, we are going to do our work independently and we will secure those? Mm, mm. And then, lastly, I would like to say... Um, we really need uh, also to look at the whole of the media, whether it is print media, radio, television, social media, 
and so on. What role are they playing? A lot of them can be very problematic, as we saw in Rwanda mm. during the genocide. Sure. One of the TV stations was calling the others cockroaches mm. that had to be dealt with, and that is part of what fueled the genocide there. So the whole question of the role of the media, the media must control itself, but if it can't, then the code of conduct that are drawn by the electoral management bodies must be enforced vigorously. Mm. Well, I want to come back to this issue, and let me start with you, Mr. Miguel de Brito, because you highlighted it earlier on, which is the fact of the questions around uh, electoral commissions in sub-Saharan Africa and people questioning their role and people emphasizing how independent they should be. What have you noticed in this regard? Because you earlier brought this to the forefront. Yes, as I said, I mean, again, we have a, a very varied um, uh, picture on the continent. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has not only to do with the manner of appointment, as uh, Professor Guto has pointed out. Sometimes it's just a formality who appoints it if the process of selection is actually transparent uh, and involves parliament and uh, involves scrutiny of uh, like a, a public service commission or something sure, like that. Sure. But also whether they have um, security of tenure, whether they can be fired at will, or whether their their, their tenure is secure, mm-hmm. the kind of uh, funding they receive, but also the quality of the members of the electoral commission. Um, if you have a proper vetting process in which you have people of integrity <coughs> selected for the commission, sometimes these people mm-hmm. can withstand whatever pressure comes their way. Whereas in other cases, as we have seen, I mean, the first phone call from the president (laughs) and the commission (laughs) just gives in. So it also depends a lot on on, on the integrity of the individuals that comprise the commission. And that boils down to the process of selection, the criteria that is used for selecting them, but also uh, the mechanisms through which uh, these people are are selected. Mm -hmm. Uh, Appointment in the end also, in some countries it matters, but in other countries it's just a formality, as long as there are the mechanisms that ensure uh, the the transparency uh, and the process, the involvement of opposition parties in selecting uh, uh, these people. Also, Mm -hmm. many countries resort to the use of uh, members from the judiciary, and this is a very good example in countries Mm -hmm. where the judiciary is independent, uh, other countries have gone for multi-party models mm-hmm. where all the main parties are represented in the commission equally, mm-hmm. uh, so it also creates a balance. But, I mean, it's, it, it's really difficult to find a single model that mm-hmm. works perfectly. Mm-hmm. A lot depends on the context of the country, but also the mechanisms that have been used to select uh, these members of the Electoral Commission. Let me come to you, Mr. Mtinka, because I think also it's it's very interesting the areas that you work in when it comes to electioneering, because it's a very much of a, you look at it from a, a social perspective, but also the, the the relationship that the electoral commission has with society is a bit of a there's a bit of a huge gap between between the two as well and in terms of the the, the reach of the an ordinary person to an electoral commission for 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 instance or a, a commissioner for instance does that create any disparities within uh, the election process well, um, I think we must uh, remember that electoral commissions play the role of being arbiters in society, but also sure. um, the role of civic education. 
Um, sure. The challenges around so there are challenges around funding, but also um, there are challenges around the extent to which uh, electoral commissions are able to uh, drive a messaging that helps uh, create an informed uh, voter. And by the way, this is not something that's only that only rests on the electoral commission itself. Mm-hmm. Um, there's education and the media which should play a role in terms of ensuring that the citizen, the, citizen, the voter behavior mm-hmm. um, is is sorry, voters are well informed in mm-hmm. terms of what's happening uh, in between five years, so that they are able to vote uh, to ensure that the, 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 we don't only have um, these procedural aspects that we look at ahead of an election and say, no, the elections are free and fair, whereas in terms of the general uh, life of the citizens, there's no change. What you need is to ensure that citizens are empowered enough to be able to, to, to make judgments about the political system and be able to vote accordingly so that a regime performance, for example, in between five every five years, is of paramount importance when poli- when political parties are campaigning. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, also another thing, maybe I want just each of you to highlight this uh, briefly because this is so important in terms of what happens in terms of the trends historically. Now, usually when it comes to countries such as Zimbabwe, also we've heard this happening in countries like the, the DRC and other uh, countries in terms of there usually is something that comes up, which is a campaign of fear. That phrase seems to come up a lot. Uh, and I'll, I'll, let me start with you, um, Mr. Mdinka, before I move on to Mr. Guto, in terms of sometimes the space or the atmosphere within these uh, uh, environments, such as Kenya, we've seen this before, you start feeling this I, this environment of fear during campaign season. And, and those factors are something that are very much a trend on the African continent. It's very worrying to have that phrase always coming in and out when it comes to electioneering time. Well, if you look at the um, continent, it's mainly uh, one-party uh, or dominant political party systems. And these parties are usually uh, uh, liberation political parties mm. that once they are in power, they want to retain power willy-nilly. And the fear happens in two ways, in terms of intimidation of voters uh, as well as intimidation of candidates. But also there's a, at a level of ideology where, for example, fear-mongering around a Western in, a, 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 an insurgency of the West around, uh, around, uh, around particular candidates, and which goes back, by the way, to the issue of political funding, where people say, uh, candidates so-and-so um, are counter-revolutionary, they serve the interests of the West, and, and so it happens in the, at a number of levels, and mm-hmm. the answer to that, actually, could be free media as well as effective observation and, and, and coordinated management mm-hmm. at, a, at, a, at, a, at a regional body level. I mean, if we look at what ECOWAS did with the, with the, with the, with, with the situation in, 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 in the, I think, Gambia, mm-hmm. uh, it shows what the strength could be of regional political organizations where internal institutions fail.
Mm. Let me bring that to you, Professor Shadrach Kuto. That idea of the campaign of uh, uh, fear seems to be something that seems to come in and out of our elections. Just in a minute and a half, give us your final sentiments on that worrying phrase that keeps coming in various countries and specific countries such as uh, uh, Zimbabwe. We've seen it in countries such as Kenya uh, with the, uh, the history of violence that we've seen in that particular country. Well, I think uh, it is the role of the independent electoral commissions to be able to discuss all of this with the security services, police, army, and other security agencies in whatever country uh, we are dealing with, so that they become professional, they serve the country rather than individuals or political parties. They have to be credible, otherwise they become part of the problem. But the other, which I think is very important, is that you need uh, citizens also to report uh, cases of um, intimidation and so on. And therefore, electoral management bodies ought to set up a mechanism uh, through the electoral uh, code of conduct that people report whistleblowers and so on, and they should attend to them. And any political party that uses vigilantes and so on to intimidate people or the police or the army uh, should be excluded from participating in elections. We have to be serious. Well, let me wrap it with you, Mr. Miguel de Brito, on this issue of uh, intimidation. Yeah, um, I think we are also seeing now a um, emerging trend, which is quite worrisome, which is the uh, political parties instrumentalizing unemployed youth by creating this uh, so-called youth militias that mm. are aligned mm. to these parties, sure. given sort of like paramilitary training, and using them as um, you know uh, forces to disrupt opposition mm. rallies or other parties' rallies. Uh, we saw cases such in Zambia last year. Mm. Fortunately, in Zambia, I think the electoral law now gives the Electoral Commission uh, actually a quite strong mandate to intervene in those cases, which is not the situation in many African countries. Mm. And so the Electoral Commission in Zambia last year actually suspended the campaign from the two main parties, both the Patriotic Front and the PND, for 10 full days uh, in Lusaka province, which is one of the major constituencies in Zambia. exactly to put a stop to this kind of uh, intimidation and violence. And that actually worked very well because both mm-hmm. parties mm-hmm. saw that if they continue with that, um, the Electoral Commission would take very strong measures and actually <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, hurt them in their campaigning. Sure. Uh, but most of our countries, unfortunately, have codes of conduct in place which are not enforceable. Uh, and so the Electoral mm-hmm. Commission doesn't have actually a lot of power mm-hmm. in terms of enforcing these codes of conduct. So I think that's something else that we need to look into as well, mm-hmm. which is in, the, in our electoral legislation to give the Electoral Commission power to intervene and actually punish um, perpetrators of electoral intimidation and violence so mm-hmm. that uh, it, it stops. Well, thank you to our guests. We have limited time. I know on this subject, there's so many angles and views that we can look at, but it's been a very insightful uh, conversation. Thank you to Miguel uh, Debrito joining us uh, from Mozambique. He's the country director there of the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Democracy. Uh, Thank you to Professor uh, Shadrach Guto for giving us his time there. He is joining us uh, from uh, uh, UNISA there, and uh, uh, he is uh, heading one of the African Renaissance 
uh, uh, institutions uh, in, in, in the grouping there at UNISA. Thank you as well to Mr. Ongama Omtinka, who is uh, joining us. He's the lecturer in political studies at the Nelson Mandela Metropolitan University. Uh, thank you all for giving us your time. Thank you for your Thank you. And thank you to the listener. Well, that's how we wrap up uh, the show. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. Yes, tomorrow we do one of our favorite things, broadcasting from outside our studios. We'll be in Yeovil at a school there, and uh, we'll be painting there and uh, doing a whole lot of activities there for Mandela Day. So do join us there uh, for actions. I think most of our services will be there, and we'll have a good day tomorrow on Mandela Day. Until then, uh, God bless. And uh, to end the show uh, relevantly on that particular thing, theme, the Nelson Mandela one. This one is titled Madiba by Ed Jordan. Somebody told me that the lights were going dim Flags were all falling Coming down for him did not believe it I whispered out his name I knew the world that I knew would never be the same never be the same it's in your face I walked through the city Walk through the streets Tears on the faces Of everyone I meet Taxis and towers Games we all play Standing together In the freedom that he made Long road to paradise Long road to peace Long life of sacrifice to set your people free. One more for my country, one more for the road. The road goes on forever, we'll never walk alone. The rainbow all around us, but the rain is gonna dry. We're gonna miss you forever. Till the day we die We're gonna miss you Madiba Till the day we die You sing your best I said You sing your best I said So best I said So best I said Yeah, I said Oh, Small boy from the country Grows to be a man Walks the path of honesty, takes a rebel stand. Fighter and a father, a prophet and a friend. The kind of man you know that you might never see again. Long road to paradise, long road to peace. Long life of sacrifice to set your people free. One more for my country, one more for the road. The road goes on forever, we'll never walk alone. 
Until the day we die 